and say happy Pentecost Sunday. It's like the church's birthday. We should sing happy birthday to the church. Pentecost Sunday is when we celebrate the birth of the church, really, and what the completed work of the cross did. How many did the counting of the Omer? How many know what I'm talking about? Oh, good. Some of you some of you are like, what? So we just finished counting the Omer, the, the, the Jewish culture did. This would be what is a biblical pattern, the Feast of Weeks, for seven weeks, for seven days a week. See, it's a cycle of completion, a double seven till 49. They count the Omer, and then on day 50, it's the celebration of harvest. That's today, in case you didn't know. Today is day 50. It's Pentecost Sunday. It's the beginning of the harvest. It's the season of first fruits. They make that first barley loaf that Jesus represents as the first fruit among from the dead, the first fruit of the sons and the harvest. And that just happens to be the day. So Pentecost did not happen because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost was happening for many, many years before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's just the day the Lord chose to bring the fullness of the Holy Spirit to earth on the day of harvest. And it just happens to be the day that the greatest, I guess it was the first really big harvest of salvation, the greatest harvest of like 5,000, right? That came on the day of Pentecost, exponential growth. That's today. So now look at your neighbor and say, Happy Pentecost Sunday. Happy Pentecost Sunday. You have stepped into an eight. We just finished a cycle of seven and Pentecost is an eight. It's a new beginning. And it was a new beginning for the church and it's a new beginning for you today. And I didn't actually know I was preaching, but I was glad when I found out I was that it was Pentecost Sunday. So buckle your seatbelts. We're going to talk about the Holy Ghost today. What else? Right? What else? What else would we talk about on this special day? So if, if you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I hope today I can say some things that maybe widen your knowledge or that we can all grow from. I grew as I studied. So don't, don't tone out on me. Don't tune, tune out. Can't even talk today. Mom brain. Don't tune out on me because you're like, dude, I know everything about the Holy Ghost. No, you don't. No, you don't. Today, we're going to talk about him. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, today is your day. Today is your day. It's your new beginning. What better day to go in the history of your life than receiving the Holy Ghost on Pentecost Sunday? So don't you run out on me. Don't you hide. It is your day. And for those of you, like my son, he, he called me the other day. This happens randomly. And he'll say, Mom, give me some scriptures or some context. I want to make sure I'm on the right track. Someone else has asked me why I speak in tongues. How many gets asked that question? You got fellow believers at work or people that are like, look, you got the fruit of the Spirit in your life. But this tongues thing, that's where I just don't know where to go there. Can you talk to me about it? And, and then they spit out what they've been taught. And so today, I'm going to actually teach And I don't know if I've ever planned a sermon this way. I want this word to outlive me and not be about me. I want this to be a weapon in your hand to hopefully equip you with some talking points and some knowledge that you can go out of here and spread the truth about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe someone watching can watch this and equip themselves to be open and ready to receive the greatest gift that Jesus has ever given the church. 
in the gift of the Holy Spirit. So do we all understand where we're going today? Good. So teacher Devin is going to come out. And then, of course, I have a prophetic word to end with, with some objects. Would not be a prophetic word for me if we didn't have objects, right? So don't, don't tune out because I'm teaching. We're going somewhere. If uh, you will turn in, in your word to two scriptures, Acts 1 and 8. Some of you don't even have to turn there. You know that, that scripture. And then I also want you to mark Judges 6 and 34. Judges 6 and 34. It's where we'll end up. So I'm going to read Judges 6 and 34 first. Then I will read Acts 1 and 8. This is speaking of the story of Gideon. So the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet and the Ebezerites were called together to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh and they were also called together to follow him. So the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet. Just remember that. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Now Acts 1 and 8, if you'll throw that up for me. Let's just read this one out loud together on Pentecost Sunday. If you'll read it with me. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Stretch your hands toward me. Let's pray together and let's get this Holy Ghost party started today. Father, we love you and we are so excited to celebrate the entry of the Holy Spirit into the realm of this earth. We are so excited to celebrate the day that the Holy Spirit didn't just visit anymore. He didn't just come upon people anymore, but he came to stay and dwell within us. We celebrate you, Holy Spirit. And today I give you permission to do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. This is your day. We came to talk about you, Holy Spirit. I pray you fill every willing vessel in this room. And if we've been filled, I pray you fill us all over again. Fill us up, fill us up, fill us up like we already prayed till our cup overflows. God, some of the individuals in this room who have spoken tongues their whole life, give them new languages today. Let them go to new levels in their prayer life. And God, for some people in here who aren't even sure about the Holy Ghost, I pray before this sermon is over, they have changed their perspective and they are hungry for the greatest gift you could ever give them. Holy Spirit, show up on this Pentecost Sunday. We receive from you and we receive from your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to talk about uh, this scripture that Jesus said to his disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I want to teach to those who have knowledge. And I kind of also want to teach in an apologetic way, just to kind of hit some highlights of maybe where some theology has been misinterpreted or mistaught against the Holy Spirit. And so before I talk about Jesus telling his disciples in Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, I want to first point out that this is a separate work from salvation. 
This is probably one of the first questions that happens in a Christian circle where there is conflicting beliefs on the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. They will say, well, did I not receive the Holy Spirit when I got saved? And the answer is yes. You cannot get saved without the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who does the the conviction, the wooing. If I really got detailed today in theology, it's why I believe that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin. It's not that that sin is so different as much as it cuts off your lifeline for salvation when you offend the one who brings you to salvation. But the Holy Spirit regenerates us. He regenerates us. I was just talking, Josiah is Isaiah's buddy. He lives with us right now. We have the best theological discussions at like 1 a.m. And last night we were talking about salvation and we were talking about the regeneration that happens. We were in the debate of if a person gets saved and then they live a life of sin, did they lose their salvation or were they ever really saved to begin with? And let me just tell you, that's a whole can of worms to open up because I believe in our society, we have so watered down altar calls and we have so made salvation a mental decision and a a few sentences that we repeat that I do fear we have people in the church that think they're saved, but they've never really been regenerated. They just made a decision and they just said a few words, but they never allowed the Lord Jesus to be Lord of their life and and to come alive in the spirit. So this is how Josiah and I talked about it last night. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were flesh and they were spirit and they were living and their flesh walked in the garden and their spirit communed with God. And he told Adam and Eve, don't you eat from this tree, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because as soon as you eat of it, you will die. And we know that that Eve takes a bite of the fruit and and she doesn't die, right? That's the greatest deception of sin for anybody playing with sin in this room. The greatest deception is that in the immediate and in the natural, you might not see something happen. And that deception made Eve turn and give the fruit to her husband and say, look, I didn't die, but she did die. She died, her spirit died. Her flesh remained alive, but her spirit died. And you rest assured the word of God does not lie. The wages of sin are death. And every time you sin, something dies. You may not see it in the natural. It may not happen in the natural, but something in your future, something in the spirit realm dies. What Eve doesn't understand is when she bit that apple, the enemy assassinated what was in her future. He assassinated what was coming for her. And you've got to recognize sin cannot be played with. It will bring death in your life. And just because you don't see it happen in the immediate, don't be deceived in spreading your sin to someone else. Eve and Adam, their spirit died. And That is why that Jesus, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, was sent to revive us. When you get saved, you come back to life. Not in the natural. I am alive in the natural in my flesh when I prayed that sinner's prayer. But what happened is my spirit man that was dead in sin, all of a sudden it awakens. The same spirit that quickened Jesus Christ in the tomb, it quickens me. And I experience a resurrection. And when my spirit man comes alive, it also begins to take control of my life. And that's why if you really get saved, that spirit man will contend with you when you try to step back into sin. You won't sleep at night. You'll be restless during the day. You'll be miserable on the inside when you're walking outside of the will of the Lord. And I do want to challenge someone in this room living in habitual patterns of sin. You better check your spirit and make sure you still have a pulse in the spirit. You need to make sure your spirit man is still alive because if he's not talking to you, 
If your spirit is not opposing the darkness that you're participating in, you may be spiritually dead and only half alive. Amen? That ain't even a part of the sermon. But somebody may need to get saved today. So the Holy Spirit regenerates you. I believe when someone gets saved, there is a regeneration that takes place. There is a supernatural regeneration that takes place, and they come to life. And we see this. You know, I actually pointed it out in John 20, 22. You'll hear a lot of people bring this up, that before the day of Pentecost, when Jesus appeared to his disciples, teaching them the kingdom after his resurrection, in John 20 and 22, he actually appears to them, and it says he breathes on them. Anybody remember reading this? He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And that is the breath of regeneration. Because are you ready for this? When the disciples walked and talked with Jesus on the earth, they were not regenerated yet. He had not gone to the cross. The blood had not been applied to the mercy seat. And what you've got to understand is this was their salvation, their regeneration moment. How can I prove to you that that moment was not the moment that they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because the verbiage is different. When Jesus begins to talk about being baptized, that word baptized actually means to be overtaken, to be immersed. It's the same kind of word when John baptized in water. It was not a breath that came upon them. It was an immersion in fire. John the Baptist said this. He said, I baptize in water, but there is one who is coming after me. He will baptize in the Holy Ghost and in fire. And what John was saying is just like you see me dunking people under the water, Jesus came to dunk people under fire. And here's a fun fact for you. Jesus never baptized anyone while he was on earth. He sent his disciples to baptize others. Why? Because he didn't have the baptism of water. He had the baptism of fire, and it wasn't time yet. When Jesus starts baptizing, he will immerse you in the fire of the Holy Spirit. So I am not the Holy Ghost baptizer. Your favorite pastor and preacher is not the Holy Ghost baptizer. Jesus is the Holy Ghost baptizer. He is the gift giver. He is the one who sends the Holy Spirit into your life. That's who we ask for the Holy Spirit. So he breathes on them. How else do I know this is a different work? Because John 16 and 7 says this, but I tell you the truth. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Listen, for if I do not go away, the helper cannot come to you. But if I go, then I will send him to you. Here is a kingdom law that Jesus had to leave for the Holy Spirit to come and that they did not dwell here at the same time. Newsflash. Jesus is not here right now. His presence is here, but he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Guess who is in this room right now? When you feel God moving and you feel the power of God, it is the person of the Holy Spirit. And he was not here. He was in heaven while Jesus was here. And it is called the the heavenly tag team. It's the ultimate tag team. When he went to to heaven, he told his disciples, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you alone. When I go, I'm going to send someone to you. And that is the day of Pentecost. It's the day Jesus fulfilled his word. He left. The disciples saw him ascend at the great ascension. They went into that upper room for 10 days and they waited and Jesus was good on his word. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell with us. He is still with us and he will be with us until Jesus returns. 
returns again. So that is not the same work because Jesus was standing there. Jesus was present on earth. He had not yet gone back to the Father to remain. And that's why we know that John 20, 22 is a, second work, a separate work. But he says to them, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In other words, I want you to go right now into Jerusalem. Wait in that upper room. Don't move. Don't go anywhere until you receive this gift I have for you. The last time I checked at this great commission, Jesus did not select a few to go to the upper room and receive this gift. He did not give a few of them a pass card and tell them that they really didn't need the Holy Spirit for the next phase of the church and of their life. And he did not make him a side option like mashed potatoes with a steak or an optional item in their life. He actually commanded them, now you have been regenerated. Now you go sit in that room until you get filled with the Holy Ghost. What are you saying, Pastor Devin? Well, I'm not telling you that you have to be baptized in the Holy Ghost to go to heaven. I realize there are doctrines that say that your salvation is wrapped up in your ability to speak in tongues. But I am here to tell you, I believe it offends the Holy Spirit when we make him an optional part of the Trinity, as if he is less than, as if he is just an added bonus if we feel like it. Jesus wouldn't have sent him if you didn't need him. And I'm here to tell you, you need the Holy Ghost. Mom, you need the Holy Ghost to parent. Dad, you need the Holy Ghost. Businessman, you'll never make wise decisions if you're not praying in the Holy Ghost. Stressed out college student, you need the Holy Ghost. He'll help you make better grades. If you want to be more than a conqueror and walk in the fullness of what the cross purchased for you, he is not an option. He is a necessity. You not only need him, you should want him. So for your friends that say, I'm so glad that works for you, but ah, it's not for me. They are literally looking at the third person of the Godhead Trinity and saying, you are not for me. One third of God, the fullness of one third of the God we serve is not for me. And I'm here to tell you, he is not a side item. Look at your neighbor and say, he ain't an option in my life. He said, you shall receive power. I'm going to break down these words because it makes it so much more powerful. That word literally means to lay hold of or to catch, to possess. In other words, the Holy, this is so good. The Holy Spirit's not only going to catch you, you're about to catch him. You're about to lay hold of him. He's not just going to come upon you and visit you once a week when you come to church on Sunday and you worship. He's not just going to come down from heaven and go back and forth like he did in the Old Testament. You're about to catch him. You're about to catch him, and he's not going to go away. He's about to infect your life. You're about to lay hold of him. He's going to lay hold of you, and he's going to dwell within you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to catch him. You shall receive power. This was one of the first sermons I ever preached, and I pray they burn this tape or the CD that I preached it that I preached on the dunamis power of God because I'm so passionate about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That word, you shall receive power, is the word dunamis. And you've heard Kevin say this. It's where we get the word dynamite. This word power, dunamis, is the same word used when Jesus performed miracles. When it said the woman with the issue of blood grabbed hold of him and power went out of him, that's dunamis. When it says he healed the multitude, that's dunamis. So Jesus is basically telling 
telling his disciples, the same power that you watched me do all of these miracles in, you're about to catch that. You're about to lay hold of that. You're not going to have to have me walking beside you to do that. I'm not going to let you borrow my power. I'm actually going to give you my power. I'm going to let you take it in. I'm going to let it dwell within you. And now, these, this is why he was able to say to them, not only are you going to do the things I did, you're going to do greater. Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say you're going to do greater? Some people might think it means that our miracles will be of a greater magnitude than Jesus. I don't believe that's what he meant. I believe that his miracles would be multiplied because when Jesus was on the earth, he was the only one that had the dunamis power. But when he went to the cross and purchased our salvation and sent the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus just got multiplied by however many believers would ever receive the keys of the dunamis power. So not one miracle man was walking on the earth, but hundreds of thousands of miracle-containing individuals are walking on this earth so we can see the greater things. So look at your neighbor. I'm going to make you talk and say, you need dunamis power. So that that definition for dunamis power, it, it's like a diamond with many facets. It has like six definitions, and they all define what the Holy Spirit does for you. Number one, the dunamis power is inherent power. It means it's power that resides within. And I've said this once, and I'll say it one more time. When the Holy Ghost fills you, he does not leave you. He dwells within you. Just like the fire and the presence of the Lord in the Holy of Holies, you are the temple of God and your holy of holies isn't empty anymore. There's a fire burning at 2 a.m. There's a fire burning at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. There's a fire burning at 7.30 at night. There's not a moment of your life the Holy Spirit exits you. He becomes a resident within you. That power is accessible to you on good days. It's accessible to you on bad days. It's accessible to you when you feel spiritual and it's accessible to you when you don't feel spiritual. Your feelings don't affect his power and his power is residing in you. You can call on him anytime, day or night. You can pray and release the power of God once you become a vessel he resides in. So now I want you to look at your neighbor and say he needs to reside in you. Oh, I know it's getting on your nerves, but there's life and death in your tongue. We are setting this atmosphere for what the Holy Ghost wants to do today. Number two, power for performing miracles. And I already said this, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive a power to perform miracles to give glory to Jesus. Number three, this is great, moral power and moral excellence. This is the part of the Holy Spirit we don't teach enough. We hoop and holler over miracles, but let me tell you something. The power of the Holy Spirit will actually help you live a moral life. It is power over sin. That addiction you can't break with your management skills, just get filled with the Holy Ghost. Pray in tongues every day and you will kick the habit of drug addiction. That sin, that that, that habit you can't break, it's because you're trying to do it on your own. Let a greater power fill you. This is what's amazing about Jesus. Not only did he give you his blood to purify you, he cheated and he gave you the power to live right. You don't even have to have the power to overcome sin. You just got to let the Holy Ghost reside in you and he will give you the power to overcome sin so somebody under the sound of my voice who has been battling 
sin your whole life battling the same cycles and the same habits, today is a new beginning for you because I am giving you the keys that the Holy Ghost will give you the power to overcome what you cannot overcome on your own. Number four, the power and the influence which belongs to riches and wealth. You didn't know this. I got to take this jacket off. I feel fire. <laughs> Jesus, Lord, I'm burning up here. The power of riches and wealth, it's a royalty. It's a dignity that comes to your life. You want to talk about breaking the power of poverty, just get filled with the Holy Ghost. You want to talk about walking in influence, look at the disciples. They were fishermen. They were lowly men, tax collectors. But after they got filled with the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts, it says they would speak and people would know they had been with Jesus because they were speaking out of their educational level. They were speaking out of their upbringing. I don't care if you were raised in the ghetto. Just get filled with the Holy Ghost and you can speak in Washington as eloquently as any Harvard graduate because he will give you the authority of riches and wealth. He will give you a royal kingdom authority. It's why Jesus told his disciples, don't you worry about what you're going to say before you're brought before kings and leaders. I think what he really wanted to tell them is please don't try to come up with it on yourself. You just pray because the Holy Ghost knows exactly what to say. You let the Holy Ghost talk. He will make you seem smarter. He will make you seem brighter he will make people look at you and think wow they are so amazing and it's just the Holy Ghost because you've yielded and you're allowing him to talk through you he will give you that type of influence and then five and six I will kind of mesh together the power and resources arising from large numbers the power consisting in or resting upon armed forces and hosts there's a military power that comes into your life when the Holy Spirit comes into your life to reside. We see samples of this in the Old Testament when the Spirit of the Lord would come upon a judge like Samson and he would whip everybody around him with supernatural strength. Or the Spirit of the Lord, which I'll get to in a moment, came upon Gideon and this young, fearful young man ended up defeating the Midianites. Or when the Spirit of the Lord, the Bible says in Exodus and in Joshua, that one Jewish man could put a thousand soldiers to flight. Two could put 10,000 to flight. Do you realize the ratio there? One person could whip a thousand. Two could whip 10,000 when the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. So what I'm trying to tell you is when the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you're not alone anymore. You're not operating like five foot Devin. Some, some of you say, oh my gosh, Devin, you preach with such authority and you don't know I was a chicken my whole life growing up. A scared little girl always made fun of. I used to, before I got up to speak to people when I was little for children's church, I would go in the back and throw up. Very shy, very timid. But something happened to me when I was eight years old. I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. When I was 12, I got called to ministry. And this little Devin you're seeing up here, this is totally against my nature because it's not me. There's an armed force residing in me. There's something that rises up within me that lets me know it's not my words is his words it doesn't matter what the devil thinks about me that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world it's a supernatural boldness like you are an army even when you're standing alone so look at your neighbor and say you're an army and you didn't know it so why in the world would you not want this power 
Why in the world would you accept half of what the cross provided to you? Jesus didn't just come to save you. He came to make you more than an overcomer. He didn't come just so you could hide in a cave and bite your nails until he returned for you so you could make it to heaven. He came so you could be like the children of Israel in the book of Joshua and you could take the land and you could take dominion for the kingdom of the Lord. You are not meant to be a coward. You are meant to be as bold as a lion and your boldness is found in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that he said, you shall receive power, that kind of power, all those words, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that word come upon literally means to attack, to overtake. And it's important that I say this because we often wonder why people manifest the way they do when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. But I want you to know even the verbiage Jesus used did not signify a gentle breath or the lighting of a precious dove. It actually signifies the attack of fire and overtaking a sieging, if you want to say it. The Holy Spirit will come on with force and with power. And he's not hurting us. There's nothing negative about it. But sometimes you, my little five-foot flesh cannot necessarily remain still and quiet when the force of the fire of heaven attacks me and overtakes me. It will come upon us, and you will see people shake. You will see them cry. My gosh, I have seen people roll on the floor. They have been slain in the spirit, and we wonder why it's happening. And I think it takes more faith to wonder why it wouldn't happen. If the power of the God of the universe invades our tangible flesh I am trying to figure out how you can tell me you are operating in the Holy Ghost and you're yawning at the same time there ain't no way there ain't no way this power is supernatural and our natural bodies can't hardly stand it and you will see a reaction when it overtakes you now this is what's important to note you'll receive this power and he says this you will be a witness Now, I think witnessing is important. And when I hear the word witnessing, my mind automatically goes to when I was in Sunday school and I was taught to share the gospel or to share my testimony. Anybody else think the same way? Right. And the Holy Spirit will make you talk about Jesus. But that is actually not the pure definition of this word. I want to change our perspective because you're going to understand why it's so important to not hide the Holy Ghost in your life. That word witness is actually a judicial term, like a witness on a stand. Like if we were in a courtroom today and I took under oath, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? And I say, yes, I have become a witness. And everything that comes out of my mouth, number one, I'm accountable for. Number two, it should testify of something that maybe the jurors did not see. Maybe the jurors did not witness, or maybe the jurors are unsure about. The purpose of a witness is to bring a testimony that reveals truth. And this is what Jesus was saying. Your life is about to be a witness of an unseen realm. Your life is about to be the witness of a kingdom that the world can't see. Your life is about to be a witness of a Savior. I'm about to leave, but you're going to be empowered to be my witness so that when people see you, your life and the glory flowing through your life is a testimony that there's a supernatural realm that they have not witnessed. There is a supernatural Savior they have not personally met. There's a God in heaven they have not seen. But because of your life, you are a 
witness and a testimony that he exists. So it's more than just sharing your story of salvation. Your life should bring an uncomfortable awareness to the world around you that a supernatural world exists. If all you do is make people comfortable in the natural, you are not pulling the destiny and the potential out of the people you care about. You are not made to just operate in a natural realm. This world is desperately crying out for the revelations of the sons and the daughters of God to explode in the supernatural grace they have been given. You are a witness that heaven is real. You are a witness that signs, wonders, and miracles still happen. You are a witness that Jesus is not in the tomb, that he is still alive you are a witness that God is not dead and how can you be a witness if your life does not look different than those who do not have him you've got to stand out you've got to be called out you've got to sound different you've got to act different you were called to be a witness and the Holy Spirit he will make you be a witness sometimes in ways you don't want to be a witness even on the day of Pentecost, they came stumbling out of a room like a bunch of drunk men and women. Why? Because God was interrupting this feast to have them testify and witness of a supernatural invasion on earth. If they had come out of the upper room and hid their experience and folded their arms and walked on to the streets, no one would have known what had happened. But God made them a physical witness by making them speak in languages they did not know and speak in languages that praise the Lord. And I'm here to tell you, if you are not comfortable standing out, you might not be ready for the Holy Ghost to overtake you. He will come upon me in Walmart sometimes. Anybody ever had a wrestling match with the Holy Ghost? You're like, please don't make me do it. Please don't make me do it. I think sometimes my kids pray, please, God, don't make her do it. Please. I had a wonderful mentor, Pastor Anna Phillips. Somebody, some of you remember her, and, and she mentored me from a young age, and I remember being like 16, and I never wanted to go through a fast food drive through with her because it didn't matter if I put her in the passenger seat. She would lean with her elbows straight out the window and we would hold up the whole line because she was not leaving until that person in the Taco Bell drive through had told her if they were saved, told her if they could pray for her. She was living out loud and it embarrassed my flesh, right? But she was a witness and I watched more miracles take place outside of the church than I ever saw in the church altars because she was willing to be a witness. And can you imagine what would happen to the city of Chattanooga and Cleveland and Athens if all of us decided today I'm going to be a witness of the supernatural. I don't care where. I don't care when. I don't care what it looks like. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit testify through my life at the gas station, at Walmart, at work, at my family reunion. Can you imagine how fast and far the gospel would spread? And now we get an understanding of how the church grew so quickly in the book of Acts. They did not love their lives even unto death. <laughs> I tell my students, some of you say you're willing to die for him, but you won't kill your reputation for him. 
Some of you say, I'll give my life for him, but you won't give up your Chick-fil-A if he asks you to fast. Death is not just giving your head on a chopping block. Death is a daily life of surrender to your image, your reputation, your daily schedule. Don't you tell me you'll take flames for him if you won't let him embarrass you when you're in front of your friends. Being a witness will cost you. You are put on display in front of everybody, but your testimony may be life or death to whoever is on trial in the spirit, and your testimony matters. So I want you just to touch your neighbor this time and say, I release you to be a witness. I got to hurry. Is this helping anybody today? And he said, you'll be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. This is so cool. It's like concentric circles. He basically says, you're going to witness right here. Then you're going to witness a little further. And then you're going to witness a little further until it actually goes. That word is the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, you're going to witness in places you're comfortable in. And you're going to witness in places you don't even know about yet. He was prophesying over the Americas that hadn't even been discovered yet. He was saying the ends of the earth will receive from your witness. And so he immersed them in fire. And what is so cool about the Holy Spirit, he is not only an empowering, but he is also what I wrote here is an engagement ring. And I'm taking like snippets of 10 sermons in one, just trying to give you an overview. But I actually wore my engagement ring today. Some people ask me why I don't wear it. This gouges my baby's eyes out. <laughs> it's a weapon. I'll wear it selectively. But I wore it today because this right here says something without words. At least it should. In our society, it doesn't mean as much as it used to. But I, I mean, I don't know if there are any single guys and girls in here that would willfully admit you can see a hot guy or a cute girl and the first thing you do is check their hand at least if you're in college. Come on, raise your hand if you do that. Right, and if you see a ring, it should say taken. Some of you, it's like, oh, I just need to amp up the efforts a little bit, but it should say taken. It means something. <laughs> I know how this society works. You're like, challenge accepted. This, I don't have to say anything when I wear it. It speaks for itself. And it says that I belong to someone. And the bigger the ring, the more of a price, you know, was paid. And what we don't understand about engagements rings and, and why boys will save for years or hawk their house or whatever is because it actually is the concept of dowry. We don't do dowry this, these days, but in, in the Bible times and in ancient times, you actually paid a price to have permission to marry a daughter, to marry your wife. You had to show sustainability. And the, the, the more elegant the, the girl, the more beautiful, the more substantial her family, the more, uh, the more notoriety her family had, the larger the dowry. So I don't know who's getting engaged in here, but just keep that in mind as you buy the ring. <laughs> You're assessing her value. I'm just kidding. Kevin and I got married with a speck. This came much later in life. <laughs> Anybody else get married with a speck? It's all you could do. But this ring, when you see a girl with a big ring, you're like, dude, her man has money. Right? And I'm here to tell you, your God has money. 
and he didn't give you some little rock on your ring. He paid a down payment for you that money cannot purchase. Simon the sorcerer saw the Holy Ghost working and said, can I buy that? And they said, oh no, Simon, there's no amount of money you can pay for this. And what the word of God tells us in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, it says this, he knows we are his since he has stamped his seal of love over our hearts and has given us the Holy Spirit like an engagement ring is given to a bride. See, I always wear something. Like an engagement ring is given to a bride. It's a down payment for what is to come. So that dowry, that ring, it better not be all talk and not all action, right? It should be a taste of what you're about to step into. And I'm here to tell you, man, the Holy Ghost is amazing. Who has had some encounters with the Holy Spirit you don't even have words to describe? Can I tell you that is just a portion and a fragment of the inheritance that is still waiting on you when Jesus returns for you? Your greatest encounters with the Holy Ghost are nothing more than a dowry and a down payment there is more hidden than has yet to be revealed and the Holy Spirit is your engagement ring to the world it's you flashing your engagement ring so why would you be ashamed of the gift you've been given it's a testimony that you are taken by one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills and lacks for nothing. And what we are walking in on this side is only a portion of what we will walk in. So now i got to put a little science with it. Are y'all still with me? Good. I'm hurrying. You know me, and if you've been in this series called A Wonder, I believe that the greatest scientific minds in this earth, the atheistic ones, the agnostic ones, they're going to work, work, work. They're going to spend all their grant money and do all kinds of research. And all it ever does is point back to Yahweh. I love science. There's no scientific theory you're going to give me that's going to intimidate me somehow, some way. It's going to point back to God the maker. And I love when science aligns with God. So this will help some of you that have your analytical friends that maybe say, okay, whatever the word says, that's fine. I just, I want to know what this looks like psychologically. Because I, you know, maybe they say, I've been told people who speak in tongues are crazy. You're just making up gibberish. Who's been told that? You're just making up gibberish. I mean, a kid can do that. Maybe you have a psychological problem. Maybe it's like disassociation, uh, something going on with you. Or maybe it's your escape from reality. Maybe your faith is an escape from reality. Who has heard someone say that? Oh, well, God is so good. And he speaks to people like that and people like me. There was actually, actually, I'm going to point to two studies, a neurological study done at the University of Pennsylvania in 2006 by a psychiatrist named Dr. Newberg. He was intrigued by the phenomenon of speaking in tongues and what the world will define as glossoglalia. glossoglalia. So he did a study. He got some awesome Pentecostal prayer mamas, and he took them into a study, and he actually hooked them up. And, and did some tests on them, some light tests that track activity of the brain. And this man was, didn't really care if it proved false or negative. He didn't have an agenda. He was just a true neurological doctor who wanted to see what was happening. And this is what's crazy. It was on Dateline, ABC News, NBC. This study went viral because it actually confirmed the reports that the women were giving of speaking in tongues. They were saying, no, we have never been to school to other learn other languages. 
No, we do not feel like we're possessed. We actually can yield to the Holy Spirit, and then when we want to stop, we can. He doesn't overtake us, but we actually don't plan what we're going to say. Does this sound familiar to anybody who speaks in tongues? It's kind of hard to explain, right? You're in control, but you're not in control. You're speaking languages. You don't really plan it. You start, and by the time you're done with your prayer time, you might have spoken 10 languages and did not know it. I'm so freaking people out right now, but they just let these ladies go at it. They, they monitored their brain when they were worshiping. They monitored their brain when they were praying in English. And everything lined up just like you would expect. But when the women began to speak in tongues, their brain did some indescribable activity that the doctors did not know how to um, explain other than what they were saying. Number one, the frontal lobe of their brain went quiet. Why is that important? Because the frontal lobe of the brain is what is responsible for voluntary movement, for managing higher level executive functions, and guess what? For language expression. So what happened was the part of the brain that controls language got quiet. And so part of the facts that were developed from this study is that you do not have to have a prior knowledge of language to speak another language when you are speaking in tongues because the language storage portion of your brain actually doesn't operate when you're speaking in tongues. The languages are coming from an unknown source in the brain. This is so crazy. Oh, people, y'all don't care, but I get so excited about this. This decrease of activity actually showed that the subjects were not in control of the language coming out of their mouth to plan it, organize it, or even monitor it. All that they could do was initiate an impulse that began the reaction. Why is that important? Because it was their will. They surrendered to the Holy Spirit. There was an impulse that allowed it to begin. And then their brain switched into a mode where they were no longer controlling the language that came out of their mouth. This is what will help people like me. The frontal lobe is your personality center. So their personality went quiet. And this is why I don't care if you're shy, you're backwards, you're an introvert, you're extrovert. I don't care what your Enneagram number is. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, your own personality functioning in your brain will take a back seat. And you may be like Gideon. You may be like Saul. The word says when the Holy Spirit came on Saul, he was transformed into another man. So I'm here to tell you, even your personality can't keep the Holy Spirit from operating in your life. And the language center of the brain got quiet. However, the consciousness remained intact the entire time. So the women were never considered unconscious, possessed, or in some type of trance mode. This is what's crazy. They did a study on another group, another faith that supports meditation. And meditation had the exact opposite reaction on the brain. Meditation actually stimulated the frontal lobe and was deemed to be a mental exercise that the individual was in complete control of. So for my meditators in there, you're using a different part of your brain than I am when I'm speaking in tongues. You are still in control. Where I'm speaking language, I can't control is this helping anybody? Because I'm going to still go. I'm going, I'm going. It also affected the cotton nuclei of the brain. 
And this is the portion of the brain that controls your emotions. So for my emotional people and for the people who say, oh, that's all emotion. Actually, Dr. Newberg would tell you when you begin to speak in tongues, the emotional control of your brain actually goes quiet. So I came to prove that Pentecostalism is not emotionalism. That part of your brain is not even active. It is not your emotions. And if I could go even further, it actually stills your emotions. And I'm going to tell you what has the same effect on the caudate nuclei, alcohol. And you know, there's this scripture that was said well before Dr. Newberg did this study that said, do not be drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And it does, Peter had to get up on the day of Pentecost and say, hey, we are not drunk as you suppose. Our caudate nuclei is actually shut off, and it wasn't by alcohol. We are feeling good in the house today because the Holy Ghost has got a hold of us, and we will not have a hangover when the sun rises to so I just proved you can be drunk in the Holy Ghost. Same effects. And then it also affects the portion of your brain that forms self-perspective and forms your interaction with others in the parietal region of the brain. So Dr. Newberg determined it actually is a, your brain goes into the mode of finding identity in self in the communion with God. This is a psychiatrist, a neurologist, several physicians on the study saying the parietal part of the brain that determines self and determines how you relate to others. You want to talk about healing your self-esteem, pray in the Holy Ghost. Because it goes into a mode where you are relating to God. It takes, here's his quote, it takes sensory information and it tries to create a sense of self and how you relate to the rest of the world and it is formed in this time of prayer. So what did his study prove? That it's a willful partnership. That the Holy Spirit does give the unction, but you have to give the access. And you don't have to know any other language. All you have to do is know how to yield. And the last thing Newberg concluded from the activity of speaking in tongues, he conclusively said it is not an involuntary outburst, but it is considered a goal-directed action of the brain. In other words, it's not gibberish, as you suppose. It is not me not being able to control myself or an outburst of, of emotion. Those portions of the brain go silent. It is actually lighting up the places of the brain that show a goal-directed action taking place, meaning what is happening is intended to produce a certain result. That's what happens in these altars when you're speaking in tongues. I'm going to go a little further. In 2011, in the American Journal of Human Biology, Dr. Christopher Lynn did a study on how speaking in tongues increases mental health. And that speaking in tongues creates stress reduction. He studied, I don't remember how many Pentecostal individuals who were filled with the Holy Spirit. And he actually concluded and proved that glossoglalia was associated with the reduction of circulatory cortisol in the system. And it enhanced alpha amylase enzyme activity. These are two common biomarkers of stress reduction that are actually physically measured 
measured in the saliva or the mouth of an individual. And so this alpha amylase is an arousal enzyme that makes you do fight or flight. And cortisol, it also does the same thing. So what he proved over weeks of study is that individuals who would speak in tongues, these two stress reducers would be produced in their life. And for days after speaking in tongues, their stress level was reduced. Depression was decreased. Heaviness was decreased. And it was proven that greater mental stability came to those who spoke in tongues on a regular basis. So why don't some of you quit running for a prescription and get up 30 minutes early and pray in the Holy Ghost before you go to work and see what it does to the chemical makeup of your brain? I need to shout out to some of my stressed out mamas. The best thing I learned to do while I was doing laundry, crying tears, thinking I would never get out of my house that day was just start speaking in tongues. Just folding the, the baby clothes and shut out my Just speaking in tongues, the Holy Ghost helped this mama survive. And I'm here to tell you, if you are overwhelmed with stress and what's going on in this world, don't you worry about popping another pill. Just get filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And we should be praying in tongues. And your stress level will reduce. And the joy, joy, joy of the Lord will be your strength. It's why the Word of God says there is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's actually scientific. So it's transformative. I got to hurry. I already told you Saul was changed into another man. Saul was transformed. I came to tell you that the New Testament Saul became Paul because of the Holy Spirit. And the greatest example of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit is poor Peter. Peter pre-Pentecost was loudmouth, brash, fearful, Jesus denying Peter, so afraid he didn't even own Jesus in his time of need. Post-Pentecost Peter was up preaching in such a way he didn't care what they thought of him. He stood up on the day of Pentecost to a large crowd and began to prophesy what the Holy Ghost was. And I'm here to tell you the Holy Spirit will drive fear and intimidation right out of your life. It will take a muzzle of the fear of man off of your mouth. It will take the fear of death and put it under your feet. There is an unusual, reckless boldness that will come on your life when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be like David and you won't even recognize you're five feet tall and Goliath is nine feet tall. You'll take off running at a giant that could squash you like a bug because there's a Holy Ghost inside of you and you know that the greater one is inside of you and you don't count the odds on the outside. You just want to know who's residing in you and fear does not reside in you anymore. For a society riddled with fear, we need the Holy Spirit. Our sons and daughters need the Holy Ghost. Your five-year-old having nightmares needs to pray in tongues before he or she goes to bed every night. We And yes, I said you're five-year-old because the Bible says it's for you and your children and your children's children. And he didn't say adult children. He just said children. And I can show you scripture after scripture where demons possess children. Why can't we believe the Holy Ghost can come upon our children? Why can't they receive the seal of the kingdom? Jesus said, suffer these little children and come unto me and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of heaven. I believe your five-year-old can wear an engagement ring and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. 
So anything is possible with the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. And he is irreplaceable. And so I just want to end before I go into this prophetic word. Are you still with me? I'm a little longer than Kevin. You all know that by now. I'm so sorry. Why tongues? We got to answer this question, right? Okay, Pastor Evan, you have convinced me that I need the Holy Ghost. You've convinced me that he's real and needed. But why in the world do I have to speak in tongues? Exactly. Exactly. That right there. Something about speaking in tongues makes you cross a line of crazy, doesn't it? It makes you cross a barrier of control to something that is unfamiliar. And I came to submit to you, it forces you to step out of the natural into the supernatural. Because you can't speak in tongues on your own. It's a huge leap of faith and it's absolutely necessary. Why is it necessary? Why couldn't God just make us do a dance or sing a certain song when we got filled with the Holy Spirit? I ask, word, I ask questions like this. Because if the Holy Spirit is the power and the weapon of Jesus Christ, I came to submit to you that before he gives you his greatest weapon, he's going to ask you to surrender yours. And the greatest weapon of your life is that little tongue in your mouth. It is your words. James says it like this in the book, of the chapter 3. It says that the tongue is like the little rudder on a big ship. You see that ship moving and you think it has something to do with the big ship, but it's actually the little rudder underneath the water that determines where it goes. And I'm here to tell you, it's your tongue that will steal your life. Proverbs lets us know that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And this is how I teach it. Your tongue is a weapon and there are two bullets in the chamber. One is life and one is death and you'll fire one or the other. You'll fire one or the other. You have been given that power. Words are how the Lord formed the universe. And words is how he will work through your life. And I'm here to tell you that that tongue is fed by the flames of hell. According to James 3 and 6, hell will try to work through your mouth if you don't yield it to the Holy Spirit. So when he decides to give you his greatest weapon, the greatest form of yielding we can give back is the words of our mouth. Pastor Devin, can I be filled with the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues? That is a great age-old debate, and this is where I'll leave it. I don't know. I'm not God. All I'm going to tell you is if you have received the Holy Spirit and you're not speaking in tongues, it's like having a gun in your pocket and never firing it. You've never followed through with the use of the weapon because God did not think the universe into existence. He spoke it. And for you to change the world around you, it's not a mental ascension for a gift you have been given. Something will come out of your mouth. And if I was to choose my words or his words, I'll choose his words any day of the week. When you pray in understanding, it's powerful because you can choose to come into agreement with the word of God and you can pray his words. But when you pray in the spirit, you have completely yielded for the Holy Spirit to use your greatest weapon to say and pray however he chooses. And those prayers are effective. So that's why tongues. And like Kevin says, don't go seeking the tongues. They're a, pro they're a byproduct. He'll say, when I go to the store and I'm going to buy Zion a pair of size six tennis shoes, I don't ask for a size six tongue. I ask for size six tennis shoes and I expect the tongue to come with the shoe. You ask for the Holy Ghost. You seek the power of the Almighty and just know that the tongues will come with it and they are considered evidence of this. And so I just want to go through now how to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to keep going. How do I receive it? Just like a Christmas present. 
Just like my shoes that were a gift to me. Really nice gift. Probably wouldn't have gotten them on my own. I didn't sit there and say, okay, do I have to mow your yard for these? Like, what, what, what chores do I have to do for this? It was a gift. When you get a Christmas present, your kids don't say, Mom and Dad, what do we owe you for Christmas this year? We wish they would, but they don't. They take it, open it, enjoy it. Why? Because it was a gift. A gift means no strings attached. And I'm here to tell you a spirit of religion will drive you into earning the Holy Spirit. A spirit of religion will drive you into making yourself holy enough for the Holy Spirit. But I came to tell you sin is something you work for. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And the gift of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit. All you have to do is be bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and you are a candidate for this gift. It's wrapped up and ready for you to open. So all you have to do is ask. I was in a service one time and a preacher was preaching on the Holy Spirit and he just began to go in tongues and something supernatural happened. It had never happened to me before. I actually got the interpretation like to myself. I wasn't in a position to give it. But as the tongues came out of his mouth, I heard him in my own language. It has to be what happened on the day of Pentecost when they heard them in their own language. And I heard the Lord, the Lord Jesus began to say these words. If a father, fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are asked? The Holy Spirit was saying that over and over. And I couldn't even quote that verse. And what he was saying, saying is, if you'll just ask, I'll give you what you ask for. And if you ask for it, I'm not going to give you something else. I'm a good father. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to jump through loops. You don't have to repeat after me. You don't have to do a jig and turn a circle. All you got to do is ask. You can ask in this altar. You can ask in your car. You can ask on your back porch. You can ask in your bedroom. It's a gift waiting for you, already paid for. All you got to do is ask. And then you've got to believe that he actually wants to give it to you. That that he desires to give it to you. That this gift has your name on it. Not just your pastor's name on it. Not just your favorite singer's name on it. This gift has your name on it. And then you have to yield. Somebody shout yield. yield. Shout it again, yield. This is where everybody gets stuck. Because we don't want to turn loose of the steering wheel. We want to ask. We want to believe. But we don't want to yield. And I'm here to tell you, the Holy Spirit will not come and move your tongue for you. He will not overtake you so that later you're like, I have no idea what happened to me. I have no, no, this is a partnership. He is not a demon that possesses you. He will wait for you to yield. And the only way I can liken it is like being in whitewater rapids. You know, if you try to swim against the rapids, you will wear yourself out. But if you will just hold your breath and float, that river will take you down a really fun journey. And the Holy Spirit is like jumping in at the beginning of, of the currents of whitewater rapids. You've got to learn to say, okay, I want this. Jesus, I'm asking you for it. And now I'm just going to yield. I'm not going to try to control it. I'm not going to try to think about it. I can't even use the parts of my brain I want to use. I'm just going to yield my mouth to you and believe you will fit. You will fill it. And you've got to believe you have permission. And then you speak. 
you actually open your mouth and speak. This is such a leap of faith. He's not going to speak for you. He will give you an unction. Some, some people feel different things when the Holy Spirit's coming on them. They feel burning. They feel shaking. They just, they just feel a good feeling. They feel peace. They feel joy. They, they cry tears. Whatever it is, you will feel an unction. And that unction is your permission. And you will hear words, but it's in a different place within you. I'm going to try to put into words. It's like riding a bike. It's hard to explain. It's words in your spirit. It's like this distant voice you've never heard before that all of a sudden you start hearing. And you think, am I crazy? This is the wrestling match you'll get into. Am I crazy? Am I supposed to say that? Is that me or is that God? Is that wrong? And I'm here to tell you, once you ask, you have permission. It goes from Red light, yellow light, green light, green light. This is what I tell people. Green light, just begin to speak. And this is what's crazy. I'm just going off record, and I'm just trying to teach like a mama. The Holy Spirit is a language that develops. I speak differently now and in different languages than I did when I was eight and I got filled. And if I can just be real, when I was eight and I got filled, it was one syllable for two hours. I was actually slightly embarrassed, but I just was doing what they told me to do. They said, speak what's in your heart. And I won't say it, but I'll never forget it because I don't want it to be like I'm making fun. But it was one syllable for two hours, and it was the greatest two hours of my life. I didn't care because it's almost like a language that develops. And some of you, you're waiting to speak Chinese, and maybe that will happen for you. But some of you, it's just yielding to that one syllable. And you're going to find it's like a floodgate that opens. It's actually what Dr. Newberg, he, he studied and he said happens. It's a signal that releases the brain to move into the mode where the Holy Spirit begins to speak. So you're sitting there like, oh my God, do I say this? Oh my God, everybody's watching me. Oh, I feel crazy. What do I do? What do I do? And you just let it fly, right? Whether it's law or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, five minutes later, you are saying things and you're not even thinking about it. And it's not that you're crazy, it's that your law turned into his Chinese. <laughs> and he is now praying. And at any point you want to stop, you can go, <gasps> but don't stop. <laughs> don't stop unless your alarm goes off or you got to get to work or someone's calling on the phone. Do you realize you can pray in the spirit anytime you want and there is no one there to make you stop? He is a river that once he is turned on, he never turns off. This is where some Pentecostals fall out with me. You don't have to wait for me to tell you. You don't have to wait for a goosebump to go down your neck. He resides in me. So at 2 a.m., if I wake up and I've had a bad dream, I just choose to pray in the Holy Spirit. And then when I'm ready to go back to sleep, I, I roll over and go to sleep. And when I wake up at 7 for prayer time, he is still there and I can still pray in tongues. So he does not take control of you. He is a gentleman, but you can speak in tongues as you need to and the utterance comes upon you. And so then you flow and you repeat. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. You want to talk about speaking in tongues? He said, I speak in tongues all the time. And I'm here to tell you, when I first started dating Kevin, it made me so mad. I'd be right in the middle of a story or dinner, and the man would start speaking in tongues. And I would say, are you talking to me or are you talking to God on this date? <laughs> you can judge me later. Once you receive that prayer language, it's an open line. You don't ever hang up the phone. 
and you need the Holy Spirit. So stand with me. I've lost some of you because I went past 12 and you can't handle it, but I won't be back for a while. I preach like twice a year, so have to get it all in. Here's my prophetic word. Shout activation. I was preparing for kids camp because my title is activation. And the Lord spoke this to me for Pentecost Sunday. He said, Devin, I'm not going to only activate the children of this church, but this will be a summer of activation for redemption to the nation's church. And I just released that word on this Pentecost Sunday, on this number eight. Today is a day you have the opportunity to step into activation. And I just prophesy as the temperature is getting hot on the outside, it's about to get hot on the inside of you. And the fire of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be like Jeremiah. When you try to keep silent, it's going to be like fire in your bones. And I declare this house is getting activated. I know we've been activated, but he's taking us to another level. This city is not going to know what hit it. Cleveland's not going to know what hit it. Athens is not going to know what hit it. Because you're going to decide to be a witness. And this is what I end with today on this Pentecost Sunday. And then I would pretty much guess people are going to get filled with the Holy Ghost today. Probably tonight. I wouldn't miss Sunday night. Judges 6 and 34. It said the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. This is what I'm teaching at kids camp. So hopefully the kids are back in children's church. That is a very unusual verbiage used there. It's my favorite reference to the Holy Spirit coming on your life because it literally means this. When it says the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon, it literally means God put him on like a garment. He put him on like a glove. It means little, empty, cowardly Gideon was just empty enough for God to fill him the way he wanted to. And when God gets ready to do something in the earth, he will just look for a vessel to do it through. The Holy Spirit knows what this world needs. The Holy Spirit knows what your future holds. The Holy Spirit knows who you're going to marry. You don't have to figure it out. You've just got to let him put you on like a glove. And this is, I called, I think these are Haley Brooks. Thank you, Haley. My tea girls, I knew they would have gloves. I wanted her to bring me some beautiful satin gloves to put them on for you today. Because what happened is my hand just got swallowed up by something else. And you can't see my hand anymore. You see the glove. And this is what the Holy Spirit should do in our life. They shouldn't see us anymore. They should see Him. But guess what? My hand is still the one moving. My hand is still the one participating. My hand is still the one yielding. Gideon had to walk in obedience for the victory, but they didn't see fearful little Gideon anymore. They saw a fierce warrior that the Lord had put on like a glove. And you may be tired and hungry, but I feel the Holy Spirit unction on me as I prophesy this. He's about to put some of you on like a glove. I prophesy he's about to take this church and put us on like a glove for whatever his assignment is to the nations. Whatever his assignment is for you, you don't have to figure it out. You just got to learn to get empty enough for him to slide his hand into your life and wear you like a glove. So that's Christ in me. And the world sees him. But I couldn't end here. Where is it? Oh, the Lord woke me up this morning and he said, Devin, I know you want a pretty glove, but I need you to find a boxing glove. 
old dog. See, when I put that black glove on, you thought pretty dainty little girl. But when I put this on, it sends a message, right? Somebody's about to experience some pain and it ain't gonna be my hand, right? We wear this glove so we don't feel the impact of our actions. But this is a boxing stance. This is a fighting stance. And the Lord said, Devin, I'm not just going to put pretty gloves on this church. I'm about to pull out some boxing gloves because there is some territory left to take. And I'm here to tell you when the Holy Spirit puts you on like a glove, we need to throw away the lacy glove mentality I have. And I want you to walk away on Pentecost Sunday knowing you can walk away armed and dangerous, guarded and protected with the force of an army. And there is no advantage advancement of the enemy against your life or your family, this church or this city, that the Holy Spirit cannot work through you to put the enemy out of business. Jesus said, for this reason was the Son of God made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. There's a violent anointing coming to the sons and daughters of God to destroy the strongholds the enemy has built in your life. So every hand lifted, I want to release this prophetic word and I'll release you on this Pentecost Sunday. Holy Spirit, we want you. Sorry. Sometimes you just lose your words. You are so here and present and we honor you in this house. We won't cage you. We won't disrespect you. We won't overlook you. We don't want to interrupt you. Holy Spirit, this is your house. We welcome you on this Pentecost Sunday. And Holy Spirit, we want you. We need you. We yield to you. And we ask for it to come in a greater measure in this house. And we yield like an empty glove. And we ask you to fill us, fill us, fill us in this place. We sang it today and we were prophesying, fill us. Holy Spirit, fill us on this Pentecost Sunday. Put your sons and daughters on like a glove, like a boxing glove. Put this church on like a glove. Put our Cleveland campus on like a boxing glove. Put our Athens campus on. Just yield and let the interpreter speak.
just yield all over this place. Raise your hands and let the Holy Spirit move through you. Just yield all over this place. Yield to the river. If you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you can come up to this altar right now. These altars are open. Just come up with your hands lifted. If you're already filled right now, just yield to the fire. Yield to the river. Holy Spirit, have your way. As people come to be filled, I need some of our altar workers right now. Come pray them through to the Holy Spirit. Some of our leaders, come now. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. Come while the river's flowing. There's a spirit of Holy Spirit intercession in here. Let him groan through you. Let him speak. 